All right, good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us this morning here at Lighthouse Discipleship Center. My name is Dave Everett, and we're going to be continuing our teaching this morning on victory in Jesus. And this is part four, and uh, if everything goes well, this will be the conclusion of this, this series. We'll start a new series uh, next Sunday. So we've been talking about victory in Jesus, and one of our key verses has been from 2 Corinthians, 2, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. It says, Now thanks be to God who always leads us into triumph in Christ, and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. And so, uh, Christ, through Christ, he always leads us into the triumph. Victory is always ours. And one of our key verses in the, in the, in the sense of ours also from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, <coughs> excuse me, he says, and he raised us together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You know, the key phrase that keeps reoccurring is in Christ. We have victory in Christ. We were we were placed when we were born when you were born again, you were placed into victory. You were born into victory. And so you start, you begin from a place of victory. When you're born again, that's where you start. That's where you begin. Seated with him in heavenly places. You start from a place, a position of victory. You're born into hell. You're born in the wealth. You're born in the righteousness. You're born in the peace. You begin from a place of victory. And we looked at how in Ephesians chapter, in the book of Ephesians, which has been our main text for this whole series, as we walk through the book of Ephesians, Paul had a revelation of this victory that we have in Christ. And he taught that. He taught that in the first three chapters of, of Ephesians, is that we are a people of victory, we're a promised victory, and we can pray of victory. <coughs> Excuse me. And then he, in chapters 4 and 5, and the beginning of chapter 6, he, he talks about how we walk that out. And then we conclude in chapter 6 of standing against the devil. That's where we're going to go this morning. But back in the speaking of chapters 1 and 3, we talk about how we are people of victory. We are blessed. We are chosen. We are holy. We are, we are blameless. We are predestined to succeed. We are accepted in the beloved. We are, we are deemed. We're forgiven from every sin. And we talked about all, all that in great length in our first lesson. And then how we also are promised victory. It says in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 15 that we who first trusted in Christ excuse <coughs> me should be to the praise of his glory, and him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit promise. We were promised victory. Okay, we were sealed by the Holy Spirit promise. We were guaranteed our inheritance. And then we learned how to pray in victory. If you want to learn how to pray, you have to study the, the, the prayers of Paul. And Paul prayed in Ephesians chapter 1, and Ephesians chapter 3. In Colossians chapter 1 and in Philippians chapter 1. And when Paul prayed, he prayed about how who we are in Christ, who, who, excuse me, he put, every time Paul prayed, he prayed about who Christ is, who you are, what God has called you to do, and what God's invested in you to get the job done. He never prayed in fear, he never prayed about lack, he never prayed about weakness, he, he, he never focused on the problem. He always focused on the answer, on the solution, which is in Christ. And yet when Paul prayed, and when Paul preached, and when Paul wrote the book of Ephesians that we've been studying, 
It was during Nero. And Nero was one of the most wicked Roman emperors, world leaders of, of, of all ages. Okay? And so while Nero was in, in, in reign and power, the church was in victory. Okay? And so we begin from a place of victory. We are seated with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Okay? So we start from a place of victory. <coughs> Excuse me. But what gives us the victory? The blood of Jesus. It says in Ephesians 2.13, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. It's the blood of Jesus that gives us that victory. Okay? Excuse me. So we have victory in Jesus. We have victory through Jesus. Okay, and the blood also made, made the spirit a possibility. In Ephesians 2.19, now you, therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. And um, there's, there's so much we've been, we are members of the household of God. How, how did we become members of the house of God? We were bought with a price by the blood of Jesus. We, were, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And that was made possible by the blood of Jesus. Okay? And then we, and, and, and then we went to Ephesians chapter 3, and we talked about how we need a revelation of two things. We need the revelation of Christ in us, a living reality. And we need a revelation of the love of God. Christ in us a living reality. Let's go to the Colossians real quick again. Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship of God, for which was given to me for you to be fulfilled the word of God, the mystery which has been hidden from the ages and ages, from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to us as saints. To them God wills to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So, and and we, we're picking this back off Ephesians, but it just, we need to, a revelation of Christ in us, the hope of glory, and we also need a revelation of his love. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted in the ground of love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints, void of the width, <coughs> excuse me, from length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ is passes knowledge, and you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly for all that we can ever ask or think according to his power, the power that works in us. And I, I'm going through this uh, a recap a little fast, because what I'm recapping is everything we talked the last three weeks. Okay? And we have to have a revelation that Christ dwells in our hearts. And so, um, you can you come down, and and so um, you know it's it's, it's a Christ dwells mark. We're not waiting for a visitation of God. We're waiting for an inhabitation. God dwells in us. We've been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ, and Jesus dwells in us. Okay, and so He's taking a permanent residence in us, and so we we need to have a reality, a revelation that Christ dwells in us, the hope of glory. And we need a revelation of his love. Okay? And it goes on to say that now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Well, what power works in us? Well, we can talk about the, 
the power of the Word of God, the power of the Spirit of Christ. We can talk about the power of the Holy Spirit. But in context, he's talking about the love of God. And the love of God is power. And when you get a revelation of the reality of Christ in you and his love, it will transform your life. So we've learned in chapters 1 to 3 that we start from a place of victory. We're born in victory. We are people of victory. We are promised victory. We know how to pray in victory. We have a revelation of Christ in us. We have a revelation of his love. And once we get a revelation of who we are in Christ and what Christ, who Christ is in us, now that we have a revelation of what victory we already have or we're born into, it changes how we walk. So how do we walk it out? Well, that's what we began to learn in, in chapters 4 to 5, and even, even to the beginning of chapter 6, which we'll get into today. But in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, Paul begins by saying, Therefore, as the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling for which you were called. <coughs> so now that we have a victory, how do we walk it out? Well, first of all, we talk about how we walk it out by walking worthy of the calling for which we're called. You have victory, now walk like it. We're not walking to get the victory, we're walking because we are victorious. We're not walking to be holy, we're walking because we are holy. We're not walking to be righteous, we are walking because we are righteous. We are not walking to get healed, we are walking in healing that Christ has provided for us through the cross. We, we are walking to, to get prosperous, we are walking to prosperity and the blessing that God has already provided us through Jesus Christ. We're walking it out. We're walking worthy of the calling of the Bible to recall. Okay? We, we also talk about not only do we walk worthy of the calling of what you're called, we also don't walk like the rest of the world. We don't walk like the Gentiles. We don't walk like we're not saved. We walk like who we are. Okay? In doing this, we put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provisions for the flesh. We put on Christ. Okay? We, we are not to learn, <coughs> excuse me, we are not to learn Christ as the truth is in Jesus. And what is this truth that we so learn that we put off the, we put off the old man, and and in the spirit of our mind we put on the new man who is created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. We we do something. We respond to His grace by putting off the old man that's been crucified. With Christ. And we in the spirit of our mind we put on a new new man who's created according to God and true righteousness and holiness. So we don't we walk worthy of our calling and we don't walk like the rest of the world. We walk in love. Okay? We walk in love. We were in darkness, but now we are children of light, so we walk in the light. So we walk worthy of his calling. We don't walk like the world. We walk in love and we walk in the light. And then we ended last week, but we walked circumspectively. Not as fools, but as wise. What does that mean? There's a lot of different ways that we can approach this, but one way that I approached it last week is that just taking the word circumcision from this word, you know, the Jews, when they, when they view them, when they use circumcision, they realized that they were children of Abraham. Excuse me. We, they were a covenant people of God. They had a destiny for God, and they were God, they had God's favor. They were people that were they had a covenant relationship with God, so they walked like that. 
They had a destiny. Okay? And when you know that you have a destiny, you will live differently. You will think differently. You will talk differently. You will walk differently. You'll even sleep differently. Because you know that you have a destiny ordained by God. You're favored with God. My, my life is blessed. My wife is blessed. My home is blessed. My house is blessed. My church is blessed. My dog is blessed. My business is blessed. Everything that concerns me is blessed. Life's not fair. We receive grace. Grace is not based on fairness. Grace is based on His goodness, His mercy, His unconditional love. Okay? And so... We are God's favorite children. We are blessed by the God and the most possessor of heaven and earth. So, we've been talking about, in the first three chapters, we are born into victory. Okay? And because we are born into victory, we begin from the position of victory, we walk it out. And we talked the last couple of weeks about how we walk it out. We walk with the earth is gone. We, we don't walk like the world. We walk in love. We walk in light. We walk circumspectively. Today, as we begin to conclude this series, Paul goes on at the end of chapter 5 and into chapter 6, how we walk that out into relationships. So this is kind of part six, point six, sub point six of, of our second point. How do we walk it out? Are we walking out and walking worthy of our calling and not walking like the world? Walking in love, walking in the light, walking circumspectively, and then walking it out in relationships. And he deals with three major types of relationships in the end of chapter 5 and, chapter, and beginning of chapter 6. Three types of relationships. He, he goes on in verse 1. See, if you can't get victory in relationships, you can't get victory. Because why? Because relationships is where we live. If you can't get along with one another, we live with one another. No one is on an island by themselves. Okay? And so, that's where we live. We live life in relationships. We have relationships in the home. We have relationships in the workplace. We have relationships in society. Okay? Excuse me. And we have relationships in the church. In Ephesians chapter 5, 21, he, he bridges this to this his next point, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Because we all have victory, we walk in the light, we walk in love, we walk circumspectively, we walk as a body, not just a member of the body. We submit to one another in the fear of God, in the reverence of God, in the respect for God. We, we, um, love one another. We, 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 we submit to one another in respect to our relationship with God. Okay? You need to have people in your life. I, you know, I can, I can go on this. I can actually spend a whole series just on this right here. Okay? We all need to hear this from time to time. And we all need people in our lives that can speak to us. We all need people in our life who can tell us no. Okay. And so we begin so when he's talking about relationships, 
here at the end of Ephesians 5, and beginning of, chapter, beginning of chapter 6, he starts with the marriage. He starts with husbands and wives. Because if it doesn't work at home, you don't want to export it. Okay? If, if we are victorious, we need to walk that out. The first place we need to walk it out is at home. And before we can even walk it out with our kids, we need to work it out with our spouse. Okay? The first relationship God establishes between God and man. The second relationship God establishes between a husband and his wife. And then came then King Cain and Abel and Seth and other kids. And the offspring of humanity. Okay? But he starts with husbands and wives, and he begins with the wife. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. He doesn't say, wives, submit to everyone else's husband. No, you submit to one husband. Okay? It doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. It's between her, her husband, and God. Okay? In respect to her husband and submitting to her own as to the Lord. No, I'll pick you back on the last part in just a moment. Okay. Now, just 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 the fact that we let, let, let us go a little further. For the husband is head of the wife, also as Christ is head of the church, and he is the savior of the body, therefore we just as the church is subject to the Christ, so must the wives be to their own husbands and we're talking about walking out this victory. And we're talking about the marriage. We're gonna to get to the husbands in just a minute. But he begins with the wives. Okay? Now, he talks about how we are to, wives are to submit to their own husbands. And just the fact that we mentioned the word submission, some people are already mad. Okay? Some people don't like that word submission. Okay? Now, if you were to study this word submission out in context, and we'll actually show you in, in this same context here in Ephesians 5, just a second. But he's talking about honoring and respecting your husband and wives. Okay, ladies. How many know that you can obey without submitting? Okay. You can have honor and respect. You, you can obey without giving honor and respect. He didn't say obey. He said submit. Submitting is different than just obedience. For instance, he's not talking about blind obedience. Okay. If the Lord wouldn't have you do it, then there's some things you won't do if your husband tells you to do it. Why? Because we're doing it as to the Lord. Okay. We're submitting to our own husband as to the Lord. And your Lord's not going to tell you to do something that's wrong. That's evil. That's that's uh, that's inappropriate. Am I making sense? Okay. But see, why would I not do something that's wrong? Because I'm because like you and I, when we're talking to ladies, but we're talking to anybody really in here, is we're a dead man. We've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives me. And wives, you are crucified with Christ. And it's not you who live, but it's Christ living in you. And if your husband tells you to do something that's wrong, you're not going to do it. Why? Because Christ is not going to do it. Okay? So i got to establish that off the bat. 
But so 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 wives love, respect, and honor. You know, you can talk to a lot of psychologists and counselors, and what's important to men is love and is is honor and respect. But for women, what's important to her is love. And so, husbands, you love your wives. Wives submit, respect, and honor them. Husbands, you love your wives. How do you love your wives? Just as Christ loved the church. Now, now that's a tall order. You can't get any deeper love than that. As Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Okay? Love your wife as Christ loved the church. Okay? Love your wife even when she's making all the wrong choices and doing all the wrong things. Just as Christ loved you when you were making all the wrong choices and you were doing all the wrong things. Love her unconditionally as Christ has loved you unconditionally. Okay? He goes on to say that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the wash of water by the word that he might present her to himself in glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she should be holy without blemish. And I'm going to come back to this in just a moment. But while I'm here now, so we love husbands, you love your wife just as Christ loved the church. You also love her to bring the beauty out of her. Okay. I love the message Bible when it comes to this passage. It says, Husbands, go all out for your love for your wife. Go all out. And I can hear all the ladies saying, Amen. Exactly as Christ did for the church, a love marked by giving and not getting. Christ's love makes the church whole. His words evoke her beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring the best out of her. Dressing her in dazzling white silk. Radiant with holiness. That is how husbands ought to love their wives. They're really doing themselves a favor since they're already one in marriage. So, you know, go all out. Christ went all out for you. He gave himself to cleanse you, to sanctify you, to make you a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any blemish. So, I have a question for you guys, and I'm wondering, are you bringing out the beauty or the best of your wife? Or are you provoking every button that she has? Are you aggravating her? Or are you bringing out the beauty in her? Because are you loving Christ, her as Christ loved the church? It goes on to say in verse 28, so husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Take care of your wife. Take care of your wives, guys. It takes responsibility. And take care of your wife. <clears throat> Quit whipping out. Quit making excuses. Love your wives as Christ loved the church. You know, I said, there's a lot I can expound on vloggers when I'm talking about marriage guy. On Facebook, I see a lot of posts from religious people on Facebook. 
and about relationships and dating and wife and husband. And some of it is just pure sick and immature. And anyway, I, I just don't want to elaborate on that too much. But, but you know, if we, <coughs> wives and husbands, if we make the decisions to wives honor and respect your husbands, wives and wives, I mean husbands to, to love your wives, if we make that decision, God will honor it. You know, in, in this family, you know, a lot of people think that when you go into ministry, you're going to be poor. Well, my family's not going to suffer because I'm in the ministry. And I think I've spent a lot on that. But, you know, Chesley DuPlanet said something once. He says, most of the time when I made a decision to, in the realm of faith, God, God backed it up. And if you will make a decision, men, to love your wives unconditionally, and believe the scriptures, believe God, trust Him, God will back up your decision to provide for her financially, to provide for her physically and emotionally, to provide for her spiritually. Okay? In so many different ways. It goes on to say, Well, no one ever hates his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak in some of Christ and the church. Okay? And so, just as husbands and wives in holy matrimony, we are one flesh. We are one flesh with him. I love that. I love that. I'm going to piggyback on that in just a moment. We are in holy matrimony with Jesus Christ as the church. And he's talking about all this, about husbands and wives. And he makes a statement, verse 32, This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ as the church. Everything he just said, it, re it relates to marriage. He is talking about marriage here, but his main message is talking about Christ and the church. Because he's talking about how we have victory in Christ. And how we walk it out, we walk it out in the home, but we walk it out because Christ has done this victory for us as the church. You know, this is one of the reasons why the devil hates marriage so much. Because marriage is an allegory of Christ and the church. Marriage is a type of Christ and church. And the devil does not want the world to see that image, to see that picture, to see that revelation of Christ and his love for the church. Remember back here, husbands love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Christ gave himself for us. We have the victory in Jesus that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the wash of water by the word that he might present her to himself. I don't know I don't know if you've seen this. Every time I read this, I love it. Because it says he gave himself for her. <coughs> we start from the place of victory, folks. He gave himself for us. He sanctified and cleansed us. He by the water, the water, by the word, that he might present us to himself, a glorious church. 
We didn't clean ourselves up. We didn't sanctify and cleanse ourselves. We did not make ourselves, present ourselves to him as gracious. He did it. He's the one that made us without wrinkle and without blemish. He did that for us. So everything he's telling husbands to do, he did already. And this is an awesome message of marriage of how husbands and wives should treat each other. And I've already talked about that. But now I'm going back to the main spiritual message here, is that this is an allegory of what Christ did for us, which is really piggybacking on everything he said in the previous chapters about how we are seated with him in heavenly places. Why? Because he's, he gave himself for us. He cleansed and sanctified us. He came to make us a glorious church. That's Father Rico and he's just saying. This is, an, this is a gospel message right here. And marriage is an allegory of that. And Satan will do anything to taint that picture in marriage, to taint that picture of Christ and the church. And he goes on in verse 33, he says, Nevertheless, let each of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. I love this kind of summary here, what he just said. Because everything I just echoed with you about marriage is that husbands are to love his wife, and wives are to respect and honor their husbands. Okay? You know, and going back to husbands real quick, we're to love her spiritually, we're to love her physically, we're to love her emotionally, just as ourselves, and we're supposed to love her financially. We're supposed to take care of our wives. You know, and then if you want to expand on what this respect means, and I already did kind of elaborate on it, I want to look at this last verse, 530, 5, Ephesians 5.33, and Amplified, and it says this, However, let each man of you, without exception, love his wife as being, in a sense, his very own self, and let the wife see that she respects and reverences her husband, that she notices him, regards him, honors him, prefers him, venerates him, esteems him, and that she defers him, praises and loves and admires him exceedingly. That's what this word respect means. <laughs> okay, in case you have any questions. But even though I shared all this this morning, folks, it's worth teaching. Okay? I want, I want to speak both to the ladies and the men something very profound. Even though this is all true, wives respect and honor your husbands, husbands love your wives. But ladies, where do you get your sense of being loved from? Men, where do you get your sense of self-worth from? Men, no woman can respect you enough if you don't know who you are in Christ. Men, you, if you know and are secure and established in who you are in Jesus and what God thinks of you, it will do some wonders for your, your wife. And ladies, no man can love you enough if you don't know how much Jesus loves you. 
And if you can get secure and established in his love for you, they will do something wonderful for your husband. I want to repeat what I just said. First of all, the question. Ladies, where do you get your sense of being loved from? Men, where do you get your sense of self-worth from? Because man, no woman can respect you enough if you don't know how much Christ loves you. And ladies, no man can love you enough if you don't understand and are established how much God, Jesus, loves you. Focus, man, focus on God's, your self-worth from God. And ladies, focus on your self-worth and love from God. And if you will do that, and how you respect and love each other, it will come from the inside out, not the outside in. You can't, ladies, you can't love and respect your husband like you ought if you don't first know how much God loves you. And men, you can't love your wives like you ought if you don't first understand how much God, what God thinks about you. So husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. Husbands, you get your sense of self-worth from Jesus. And wives, you get your sense of love from Jesus. And when you both do that, and then you come together, it's multiplied strength. It's powerful. It's one of the greatest powers on this planet. Because one will send a thousand, and two will send tens of thousands of lights when you come together. So up to this point, Paul's talked about how we're going to walk worthy of his calling. Not going to walk like the world, but walking in love, walking in the light, walking circumspectly. Then he starts talking about relationships. He talks about husbands and wives. And then as we enter into chapter 6, he talks about children and parents. Another relationship. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. <coughs> Excuse me, that it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. Children, and it doesn't say anything about age here. You're not supposed to honor your parents no matter how old you are. Okay, obedience might be a little different. Okay. But honor will be no matter what age you are. And how many of you want a good life and a long life? Well, there's a promise here. You don't wonder why some people are struggling so much. Because they have stopped honoring their father, mother. Father and mother. There's a promise here. Okay? But he goes on, and, you know, talking about children honoring your parents, but it's also talking about parents respecting their children. And fathers, and I think we can put mothers here sometimes too, okay? Do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Don't irritate them, don't exasperate them. The word my wife and I use. Don't bring resentment. You know, find, you know, parents, can I just go off on this for a minute? Find your gifts and talents and help them develop them. 
Yes, first and foremost, we want to lay a good foundation at home spiritually, in the Word of God, going to church, and the relationship with God. But we also want to lay a good foundation for them physically, emotionally, educationally. Because if they have a good foundation, spiritually, physically, emotionally, socially, financially, educationally, they'll have more areas of excellence and more opportunities to be the head and not the tail and above and not beneath. Chance, you raise them up. You give them a good foundation. If you want them to be blessed, give them a great foundation. And it's your responsibility as parents. Teach them to believe God. Teach them that there is a way to be who they want to be based on their talents and skills and how God's wired them and gifted them and, and given them a, a passion for. Never tell them, your children, that they can't do and that they can't be where God's called them and what God destined for them to be. We can teach them that they can do all things through Christ who gives them strength. Yes, we can't do every aspiration that we may have. But maybe we just don't have to give our talent for that. But there are certain talents and abilities that we can do. We might not be able to do everything well, but we're called to do something with excellence. But I, I, I if I'm gonna, if I'm gonna fault on, even if they don't have gifts and talents, I'm gonna. I want them to live their life based on this principle. They can do all things of Christ. Because there's some people who are excelled at things that they thought they didn't have to get their talent. It was there. It just needed to be developed. And one of the most developing things they needed was knowing who they are in Christ. And they can do all things. They're unstoppable. So, we talked about walk worthy of your calling. Don't walk in the world. Walk in love. Walk in the life. Walk in Walk in relationships with one another. We dealt, we dealt with the marriage. We dealt with parents and children. Now we're going to deal with employers and employees. <coughs> so it says, bond servants, employees, be obedient to those who are your employers. According to the flesh, with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart, as to Christ, not with high service, as men pleasers, but as bond servants or as employees of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart of the good will of good will to service after the Lord and not to men. So there's a lot here, but let me just summarize some of this by saying, don't just do a good job whenever your boss is looking. But serve as you are doing it, as to Christ, as to the Lord. If you're doing a good job, 
where you're at. Honor your boss and honor your place of employment. Maybe you're working at a job you don't like. And maybe you're working for a boss you don't like. Joseph did that. Daniel did that. David did that at times. Okay? But honor them. Honor them. Honor the place of point why you are there. Let be a blessed to be a blessing. And if you will bless them as to the Lord, as to Christ, God will promote you. Whether he promotes you there or he promotes you elsewhere. But do it as you do it to the Lord. <coughs> so, again, doing the will of God from the heart with the good will, doing service as to the Lord, not to men. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave, whether he is an employee, or employer. Okay. We don't use the words bond servant and slave master when we understand the word employee, employer. Okay. So, again, doing the will of God from the heart, doing good servant has to the Lord and not to man. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, whether you're an employer or employee, do good. He will receive the same from the Lord. Employees, if you will do, do it as unto the Lord, you will receive from the Lord the same that you, you do. Employers, if you do it knowing whatever good you do, you will receive from the Lord. Employees, employers, do it as you are serving God. And he will help you. Whether you are an employee or whether you are the employer. Because I'll just say, verse 9, as you employers do the same to them, the employees, giving up the give, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. Okay? Employers, don't threaten your employees. You too have a boss, and he's in heaven on the throne. Okay? Colossians echoes this, and whatever you do in the word of deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the God the Father through him. Verse 22. Employees, obey all things to your employers, according to the flesh, not with eye sickness and man's pleasures, but in sincerity of heart, hearing God, and whatever you do, do it heartily, as to the Lord, and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of inheritance for you serve the Lord Jesus Christ. I love that. And knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of inheritance. I don't care how little you make. I don't care what's going on. If you will, employees, serve your husband, your, 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 your employers, almost your husband, sorry. <laughs> okay. As to the Lord. No matter how they might be, know this, that the Lord will receive, give you an inheritance. Now this message with some people on the grace side, you know, we are not saved by good works. We are saved for good works. But there's a principle here, you will reap 
what you sow. And that is a natural law, and that is a spiritual law. Don't be mocked when a man sows. God, don't mock God. God won't be mocked. Whatever you sow, you will reap. That is a new, that is an Old Testament and New Testament principle. Okay. And if you think God won't honor you for your work, you are mocking God, according to Galatians. Okay. I can spend a whole time on that. I got to keep that brief. Okay. Amen or oh me. Okay. It goes on to say in chapter 4, employers, give your employees what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Be just. Be generous. Take care of your employees. Your greatest asset you have in your business is your employees. Treat them well and you'll get an investment. Invest in your employees, and you'll get an investment on your return. Treat your employees well. God will take care of you. Be good employees. See, whether you're an employee or an employer, be good employees. Be good Be the best. Be the best employee you could ever be. Be the best employer you could be ever be. Be an example to the world of what it looks like to respect and to work hard. Let the testimony of the world be, these are the best workers. They produce more than anyone else. They don't cheat. They don't lie. They don't steal. They always have a good attitude. They always smile. Be the best boss. This is the best place to work. Because they treat me well. They take care of me. He doesn't cheat me. He or she doesn't cheat me. He doesn't steal. He doesn't lie. Always has a good attitude. Always encourages me. He, expect, he or she expects me to work. But he treats me well. So we talked about how we're going to walk this out. In our marriages, in our home, children and, children and parents, and in the workplace, as employers and employees. So he goes into these relationships, and yeah, there's, there's more different relationships, but he goes with some of the bigger, bigger ones. That we put. These are places where we live. We live at home with our spouses. We live with our kids. And many of us live in the workplace. Okay? It's where we live. And, and it's on that premise, every, we, have, we are born in the victory. This is how we walk it out. And finally, I bet it. Let's be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. See, we're being strong in the Lord and the power of his might. And everything we talked about with relationships, marriage, Children and parents, employer, employee. See, a lot of people, the Bible says in James, therefore submit to God, resist the devil, he'll flee from you. We're going to get to the point now where we are going to stand against the devil. But a lot of people want to start there, but they don't want to submit to God. 
They don't want to submit to the fact that they already have the victory in Christ. They don't want to submit to the fact that they ought to, to walk in love, walk in the light, walk circumspectly, walk it out in their marriage, walk it out as a child and as a parent, walk it out as an employer or employee or both. Okay? Many are trying to resist the devil without submitting to God. And it doesn't work. When you first submit to God that I have victory in Jesus Christ, resisting the devil is easy. When I walk, when I submit to God as a husband or a wife, resisting the devil is easy. When I honor my parents, when I honor my employees or I honor my boss, resisting the devil becomes very easy. When I walk circumspectly, knowing I'm in covenant relationship with God, I have a destiny. And I am favored with God. Resistance to devil becomes easy. When, I know, when I'm fighting from victory, instead of fighting for victory, I know that I'm blessed. I'm chosen. I'm, I'm a child of God. I'm destined to succeed. Resistance to devil becomes easy. When I submit to God. See, you already have the victory. We established that in chapters 1 to 3. We talked about how we walked it out. We're just submitting to God in chapters 4 and beginning of chapter 6. Now we're going to get to the place where we resist the devil. Where we stand against the devil. Because we're already seated with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And so we get to the point where he says, finally, my brother, be strong. The conclusion of all that I've talked about in this letter so far, in the first five chapters and beginning part of chapter 6, is... The conclusion is, be strong with the Lord in the power of His might, not your might. His might. Where is your strength? Your strength is in submitting to Him. Your strength is on the person's lap you're sitting on. Okay? It's His authority. It's His ability. You have victory and walk through that. And based on the strength, put on the horn, not just some of it, that you may be able to stand against the wild of the devil. What is your strength? In the whole armor of God. And it's something, the armor of God is your strength. But you have to put it on. He's not going to put it on for you. Okay? Okay? There's a lot here. Put it on. Where, where do we see this phrase put on? We already saw this phrase put on in chapter 4. Put off the old man. And the spirit of your life put on the new man. Who's created according to God. True righteousness and holiness. We saw this put on when he says put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And make no provisions for the flesh of those less. Put on Jesus. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Satan's only power is deception. And if we can break his deception, we can break his lies. Because I'm going to say, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. You're not fighting against your wife or husband. You're not fighting against your kids or parents. You're not fighting against your employer or employees. You're not fighting against one another. You're fighting against principalities and powers, against 
the rulers and darkness of this age against the spiritual hosts of the wickedness in the heavenly places. Remember, we already talked about principalities and powers. One time it was about angels. This is not the angels. We're not fighting against angels. Okay. We're fighting against the one third of hell. We're not fighting against the two thirds who did fall. Okay. I just need to make that distinction. Okay. Folks, this is not a game. This is a war. We're in spiritual war. Satan is defeated. We have the victory in and through Jesus Christ. But how do how do we have this victory? We have this victory by putting on the whole armor of God. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand that evil day. Having done all to Why can you stand? Because you already have the victory. You already have the victory. You're not fighting for it. We just spent five and a half chapters talking about how you already have the victory. Walk it out and finally, my brother, stand by putting on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. Because without the armor, you have no leg to stand on. But once you know who you are, and what God has done and what God's invested into you, when you submit to that, you're just going to simply resist the devil. You know how I resist telemarketers? I just ignore them. I don't answer them. I hold my ground. I don't have to put up with stuff that I don't need to put up. I just, you know, I, there's some things I don't have to turn on. There's some channels I don't have to turn on. There's some things I, I, there's some things I can resist very easily. Okay? Anyway, I, I could go on so many, so many levels with that. But, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand an evil day. Have you done all to stand? See, when it's challenging, and it will be, will it ever be challenging in marriage? Yeah. Stand. Will it ever be challenging as a parent or a child? Yeah, stand. Will it ever be challenging as an employee or employer? Yeah, stand. Will it ever be challenging in this world? Yes, stand. I mean, politically, some people don't see it yet, at least here in America. But we're already been in World War Three. We've been at the beginning stages for a while. This is a different type of war. Okay. But there's a war even within the U.S. for the soul of America. And you, even as American, you either have to be deaf, dumb, or blind not to be able to believe that. That there is a culprit within trying to steal this country. And I'm not going to elaborate on that right now. But I said enough. But we are in a war. Physically, civilly. And spiritually. But when we put on the whole armor of God, no matter what happens, we can stand. Am I making sense? No matter what's going on in this country and goes on, the whatever going to go on in the country where you may be listening from, when you put on the whole armor of God, you can stand. No matter what may happen in these last days, because both 
Jesus and Paul and James and Peter and John, they all said terrible signs will come in the last days. But when you done all, put on the whole arm of God, you done all to stand. You can stand, withstand in that evil day. James says it this way, my brother counted all joy when you fall into various trials. We can count it all joy. Why? Because we stand, we, we, we have the victory. We, we know how it ends. We already have the victory. We're dancing on the right side of the Red Sea. Not the other side. We're celebrating count all joy while the Pharaoh and his army are coming at us. Not after they've been drowned in the sea. It's easy to celebrate when they're already been drowned in the sea. But we can count it all joy when we're still facing. We got the Pharaoh's army coming on one side and we got the Red Sea to our back. We can count it all joy. See, nobody, no, nobody would have ever heard and talked about David and the dwarf. Okay? How many know there's some giants? But we've all heard about David and the giant. See, Joshua. God told Joshua, I've given you the land. Go take it. By the way, there's some giants in there. See, Joyce Meyer says it this way, another level, another devil. Sometimes when you go to another level in your relationship with God, there's another devil to conquer. But we keep going forward in Jesus' name. And having done all to stand, we stand. Put down the whole arm of God. Why? Because we're already seated with him in heavenly places. That's where we started. That's where we began. You begin from a place of victory. You walk it out in life, and then you stand against the devil, already seated. When you put on the whole arm of God, you start with, when you stand, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. Let me just start there, and we'll read the second half in just a minute. You start off by putting on the belt of truth. Why? Because the, the belt keeps everything together. Get it? Truth. Truth keeps everything together. What's the truth that we're supposed to be? You have not so learned Christ, for the truth is in Jesus. What's the truth? That you put off the old man in the spirit of your mind, you put on the new man in Christ Jesus. It's in the same letter. We read about this two weeks ago. It's in the same letter, chapter 4. He's already talking about right now, the put, uh, uh, put on around your waist the belt of truth. What truth? The truth that you so learned. That's in Christ, that you put off the old man, and the spirit of God you put on the new man, who's already created in true righteousness and holiness. See, Another thing about this girded your waist with noise. I like the King James here. I'm going to go there for a moment. Stand before having your loins girt about with truth. We don't talk that way a lot. I my loins girded. Okay? We just don't talk that way. Sounds painful. But loins also speak of 
seed. And seed speaks of destiny. Protect your destiny by walking in the truth. And your destiny will be secure. Protect your destiny by walking in the truth. And your truth will be secure. Going, going back to the 614, having you girded your waist with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Have you noticed that you have to put both of these on? We have to so learn truth. That means there's something that we have a part to play in that. Jesus is the way, the truth. You shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But the truth doesn't do you any good if you don't know it, if you don't learn it, if you don't put it on. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, but we have to put that breastplate on. It will protect your heart. It's a breastplate. Am I making sense? Where do we hear righteousness already? Well, first of all, it goes back to where we just were. Put off the old man and put on the true man, new man who's created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Put that on. Put on the new man. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. For you are the righteousness of God in him because of the cross. No weapon shall be formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue rise up against you in the judgment you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. Your righteousness from God. Put it on. Because that is your defense from any weapon formed against you. We're in a war, folks. Satan's out to steal your faith. Righteousness will protect your life. Righteousness will protect your heart. Knowing who you are in Him. It's a breastplate. Put on your shoes. And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. I love this. Shod your feet with the gospel of peace. It says, Paul said it this way in Romans, and how shall they preach unless they are sent? And as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings and good things. This is echoed from Psalm 52. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings goodness, who brings the gospel of peace, who proclaims peace. I proclaim peace in this situation. And who brings glad tidings of good things. I proclaim salvation. I proclaim wholeness, healing, prosperity, deliverance. Who says in Zion, his church, his people, his bride, your God reigns. <coughs> Excuse me. Peace. Peace protects your path. Sherry and I, if we don't have peace about it, on a major decision, we don't go. We don't do no peace, no go. How many of you know that you also win more people by peace versus war? 
to attract more bees by honey than vinegar. See, do, see, we are to shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. It's not the gospel of war. It's not the gospel of vinegar. It's the gospel of peace. Preach the gospel of peace. He loves you. He's not mad at you. He's already paid for your sins. The victory's already won. Yet, all that's true, that I just said. That's the number way of doing it. But how many of you know that, and Jude says it this way, and some have compassion, making a distinction, but others say them with fear, pulling them from the fire. Most, the best way to do it is goodness of God. But there might be some people that you must, in, in fear, pull them from the fire. That may come to play in some cases. Okay, it's still compassion. But, but there's a better way. There's an easier way. But some people, you might have to use a little vinegar. Okay? Am I making sense? Okay? I can develop this. But above all, taking up the shield of faith. With which you will be able to quench the fiery dart of the wicked one. Above all, above all, I mean, we talked about a lot of great armor of God already, but above all, pick up the shield of faith. It's a shield. That breastplate of righteousness, it does good. Those feet shining with the gospel of peace, they do good. You Keeping your loins on, does good. Okay? <laughs> all these different things. But above all, have your shield of faith. Take that shield of faith. Where does, where does faith come from? The Word of God. Okay? And take the helmet of salvation. Let's deal with that before we deal with the latter one. Come so the salvation protects your mind. I'm saved. I'm healed. I'm blessed. I'm prospered. I'm whole. I'm delivered. It protects your mind. How do you know we live in a crazy world that we would be delivered from this present age? And you need to have the helmet. Your mind needs to be so grounded in the salvation. It's a helmet. It protects your mind. And then we have the sword of the spirit. It's a sword. It's an offensive weapon. Which is the word of God. Okay? See, all the other part of the armor is defensive, and it's important. This one is offensive. It's the only one of the armor that has offense. Now, are we beating our brother and sister over the head with the sword? No. That's not what it's for. Because, go, back, go backwards, I'm not going to do it on the slide, but we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Okay. We're not fighting one another. We're not doing civil war here. Okay. Remember in Revelation 19. Now I, John talking, saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. 
His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written on that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies of heaven clothed in fine linen and white clean, clean follow him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, a two-edged sword, okay? Now with it he would strike the nations, and he himself would rule them. With a rod of iron he himself treads winepress of the fierceness of wrath of Almighty God. And he would have on his robe and on his, on his thigh a name of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. There's a lot I can expound on that, but it's a two-edged sword. See, many use the word of God as a defense. It is written. Remember how Jesus, with the, 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 his three temptations, it was used in a defensive way. And there's a place for that. There's a place for the sword to be defensive. You know, taking away the darts of the enemy. Going back. Of the enemy. I'm sorry, I thought there was a slide here. Um, but it's an offensive weapon, too. We can be offensive with the Word of God, not just defensive. Do you need healing? You can be offensive with that sword and say, By His strength, I am healed. Because Psalm 1, He said His Word and healed them. That sword is offensive. I'm taking my healing. I received it by his stripes, and by his word I am healed. And you can use it offensively. Okay? You speak the word, and there's power in the word. You can also use it for prosperity and many other benefits of our salvation. You can say, I am the blessed of Abraham, of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. You can say, let them say continually, that the Lord be magnified, who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant, and I am one of those. Okay? You can say, my God shall supply my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. You can say, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. And on and on we can go. We can speak what the Word says. But most of these things, even what I'm saying now, are, are positions of defense. Okay? Or we're using it in the offense after the fact. After we're already poor and lacking. After we are already in lack. I mean, he can sick and need healing. But we've been teaching through this whole series. We, be, we begin from a place of victory. You can also go on the offense with the Word of God, not just the defense. Again, we're not doing against man, but we can take territory with the Word of God. Before. Operative word before the enemy ever comes, you already go there with the word of God. Instead of believing for healing, post-attack, 
You can believe God for divine health so that you never deal with sickness. See, Solomon went, with long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. You know, John Osteen, that's Joe Osteen's father, said it this way, we live from the top of the barrel. And someone once criticized him saying, that's not being in faith by living from the top of the barrel. And his response to that comment was, well, it took a lot of faith to fill the barrel. We live from the top of, we live from the, top of the barrel. And some might question that one, well, that's not living by faith. Well, John's response to that was, we, there was a lot of faith that filled the barrel. Okay? You can believe God and get ahead of the game. Get ahead of the war. See, in Joshua, when they, when they entered the promised land, they ate of the produce of the land on, the day, on that day and the Passover, after the Passover, unleavened bread and parched grain, and on the very same day, then the manna ceased on that day, and after they had eaten the produce of the land, and the children of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate the food of the land of Canaan that year. What happened for 40 years in the wilderness? For 40 years, they ate manna and crab every day. I mean, you might like to try some manna. You might like to try some quail. But every day for 40 years, they're much. But, they had a, but nonetheless, they had a miracle every day for 40 years. Some of you have to believe God for a miracle to get out of the mess that you're in right now. Nothing wrong with that. You need a miracle? It's yours. It's yours for the asking. But you don't have to stay there forever. You don't have to live out manna and quail for 40 years. You don't have to live from miracle to miracle every day. Are miracles bad? No. Are they part of our salvation? Yes. But if you live from miracle to miracle, you're usually living from problem to problem. There's something that's better than a miracle. And that's called the blessing of the Lord. A blessing where you live day in and day out is greater than a miracle. Right? Because miracles usually follow problem to problem. Blessing can be proactive so you never experience the problem. Remember, we are Oops. Hold on one second. We are blessed of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. That's who we are. Remember, folks, 
we serve a supernatural God. And living for miracle miracle is also a supernatural God. But if you're not living in the blessing of God, you haven't seen anything yet. See, going back to 617. Take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of fear, which is the word of God. You can take territory with the word of God. You can speak the word of God. And you don't have to wait until a dilemma to believe God. You can believe God every day in advance. See, we've been talking about so far, we started from a place of victory. I'm not the sick trying to get healed. I'm not the poor trying to get wealth. I'm not the sinner trying to get righteous. And I'm not the worried trying to receive peace. I'm the righteousness of God in him. The devil might be trying to keep me sick. The devil might be trying to keep me poor. The devil might be trying to keep me in sin. The devil might be trying to keep me in fear. But I begin from a place of victory. And I am blessed of the Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. I am blessed. I am blessed. I am healed. I am prospered. I am righteous. I am chosen. I am predestined to succeed. The devil might be trying to get me sick. The devil might be trying to do this. The devil might be trying to do that. But I am blessed. I am healed. I am prospered. I am saved. I am righteous. I am redeemed. And I am the healer of the Lord. I am the blessed of the Lord. I am the redeemed of the Lord. And I will say so. Okay? I am whole. I am healthy. I'm, and I am strong doing the will of God. I begin from a place of victory. And I will walk in health. I will walk in wealth. I will walk and do what God has called me to do. And I will declare the praises of God. I'm going to do all to stand. And I'm going to stand in victory. I'm going to walk in victory. I'm going to walk in the light. I'm going to walk in love. I'm going to walk circumspectly. I'm going to have a covenant relationship with God. I am blessed. I have a destiny. And I have favor with God. Put on the whole armor of God. I have his salvation. I have his truth. I have his righteousness. I have my feet are shot with the gospel of peace. I have the shield of faith. And I have the sword of the spirit. In the name of Jesus. Amen. And then pray. Pray always. Pray without ceasing. With all prayers and supplication. In the spirit. In the spirit. There's tongues. Being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. <coughs> Pray. Always. He says, and Jeremiah called me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not even know. Thus says the Lord Almighty, the Holy One of Israel, his maker. Ask me of things to come concerning my sons and concerning the work of my hands. You command ye me. Take your God-given authority and walk it out. Stand. You, you begin in victory. Walk it out 
walk circumspectively, walk worthy of your calling, and stand in the form of God. Pray always with all prayers and supplications. All kinds of prayers. All kinds of prayers. Is there a wrong kind of prayer? No. All kinds of prayers. With all prayer. Okay? That's not a wrong way to pray. There's a better way sometimes. But pray always. And for me. Paul says pray for me. That the utterance may be given to me. That I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Paul says, pray for me. And I'm speaking today, not Paul. I'm reading his book. I'm reading his letter. And I ask you, the, the listeners, to pray for Dave. Pray for your pastor. Pray for me. That the others may be given to me. That I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. We've been talking about the mystery already. The mystery is Christ in us, the hope of glory. Okay, but pray for me that I may boldly preach the, the gospel. Pray that I and you and us may continue to preach the gospel. Pray for us that no matter what's going on in the world, we may boldly utter the gospel. The, the, we may utter the mystery of the gospel. What is that? Christ and that's the hope of glory. And all the political mess that's going on in our world today, in our own country, in our own state, in our own, our own country, and even many of yours, pray for boldness. God's still on the throne. Jesus is Lord. The worst true. He still lives in me. He still lives in you. And I'm going to keep believing God having the full arm of God. See, unbelief is extensive. <laughs> Can I say that again? Unbelief is expensive. It will cost you more, take you longer. It will take you 40 years to get to the promised land instead of 11 days. Unbelief is expensive. Unbelief will cost you everything. Anything that's not the faith of sin. And Paul concludes this whole letter we've been reading over the last four weeks by saying, by saying, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that if I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. See, he was praying for him. He wasn't changed when he wrote this letter. This awesome letter of victory. Okay? But that you also may know my affairs and how I'm doing. Titus, a beloved brother and faithful minister of the Lord, will make all things known to you. Even sending a messenger, okay? Whom I have sent to you for this very purpose, that you may know our affairs, and that he may comfort your hearts. But peace to the, the brethren, and love with faith from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. I love this last line in verse 24. Grace be to all those who love our Jesus, our Lord Jesus Christ sincerely. In, in sincerity, amen. Do you love God's sincerity? Well, grace to you. Do you love God? Are you sincere in your love of God? Well, grace to you. I love that. Grace to the, all those who love our Lord and sincerity. Amen. So be it. Grace to you. I love that. 
Do you love God? Do you love Jesus? Are you sincere? Grace, grace, grace to you. Amen. We've been talking over the last four weeks about we have victory in Jesus. We begin from a place of victory. We're chosen, we're blessed, we're blameless. We were destined to succeed. We were forgiven all of our sins. We are, we are the people of victory. We are promised victory. We know how to pray in victory. We have a revelation of Christ and that's the hope of glory. We have a revelation of his love that's able to do above and beyond what we can ever think or imagine according to his power, his love that's in us. We've been walking with you. We're going to walk it out now. Walking worthy of our calling, not walking like the world, but walking in love, walking in light, walking circumspectly, knowing that we're a covenant relationship with God. Destined to succeed in favor of God. And we know how to walk it out in our relationships, in our marriage, in our children and parents. <coughs> and walk it out in the workplace. And now we're going to do all the stand, put on the full armor of God, the belt of truth. The helmet of our salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, our feet shodden with the gospel of peace, and the sword of the Spirit, praying always and praying for those who God has called to preach the gospel in these last days. We have the victory. So stand, submit to God, resist the devil, hopefully. Submit to the fact that you have victory. Submit to the fact that. Christ is in you to call glory. Submit to the submit to his love. That surpasses understanding. You don't have the victory because he's able to do above and beyond you could ever imagine according to his love, his power, his word, the spirit of God, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, who lives in you and is working in you. Work this out. Work this out in the workplace. Work this out in the home. If you can't work it out in the marriage, don't export it. If you can't work it out, start in the home. Start with your kids. Start in the workplace where many of you live. <laughs> okay? And take it out, export it. Stand. If you learn how and who you are and walk it out, standing against the devil is nothing. It's like submitting to God who's this devil. He'll just sit with me. We've been talking about victory. We have a victory. We're born into victory in Jesus Christ. Starting next week, we're going to open a new series, kind of on the same way, uh, 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 on the same wavelength, overcoming by the blood of Jesus. We're not really switching topics, even though we're just going to change the, the, the title. But we're going to we're overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. We're going to overcome. Jesus, because it's the blood of Jesus that gave us this victory that we've been talking about for the last four weeks. We're going to go in a little deeper and we're going to be talking about overcome. What, what, what do you need to overcome? Sickness? By the blood of Jesus. You need to overcome temptation? By the blood of Jesus. You need to overcome anything? Lack? is by the blood of Jesus. Whatever you need to overcome, you can overcome it by the blood of of Jesus. It says in Exodus, at the first Passover, when I see the blood. 
didn't say when I see you got it all together. No, when I see the blood. When I see you obeying me and everything I told you to do. No, when I see the blood. Because when you, if you've done the blood and you've believed in the blood, you have obeyed. Okay? When I see the blood. The death angel will pass over. He who the Son set us free shall be free indeed. We have a victory in Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week. We'll talk to you soon.